If you have your Bibles with you or your favorite app, we'll be in Luke 11 this morning. Luke 11, Gospel of Luke. We'll actually start at verse 5. We'll go to uh, verse 13. Luke 11, verses 5 through 13. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? May you hear the word of Christ this morning. Jesus said also to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he, wasn't, he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the gift of Your Word this morning. At this time, we gather around the gift of your word in order to receive more and more and more of your word. And so now instruct our hearts. Our hearts have gone astray this week, choosing ourselves instead of being obedient and listening closely to your word. Open our minds so that we might receive and understand by your spirit what calling you have for us, especially as fathers. And so, Lord, we ask for this very special day in which we commemorate our fathers that our hearts would long for you, Father, our Heavenly Father, in whom our hearts find full rest. And so, may you teach us, give us your word as your church to be a people of your word. We offer these things in your Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> We probably come from various backgrounds once it comes to fathers, and I certainly am not naive to that. Some of us probably had uh, a great father figure in our lives that was there for us uh, as a listening ear. Some of us probably didn't have so great of a father who was likely absent most of our lives. And some of us might not have had uh, either one of those, but we had some sort of grandfather in our lives that was that fatherly figure there for us no matter what. Once it comes to the various stories that we come from, the various backgrounds that we come from, I'm not naive in understanding that when we talk about God as Father, we might have preconceptions, preconceived ideas about what we mean as God as Father. Let me just go ahead and say that this morning, there is no greater father than God the Father himself. 
And the simple message of the, the New Testament is that God the Father has sent His Son so that we might be restored and redeemed to our Heavenly Father through the Son's life, death, and resurrection. And that He further, the Father further gifts us His Spirit so that we might live in a way that our elder brother, the Son, the ways that He taught us, the ways in which we are to walk, and so know when I say God the Father this morning, it is a good, good Father that we serve. It is a good, good Father that we worship and honor this very morning. And my prayer and my hope for this passage as it relates to Father's Day, I will slowly seep a deeper understanding of what uh, Jesus is after, what it means serving this Father that we have who has sent His Son. So let's look through this passage as it relates to uh, what Jesus is teaching for us as his church. If you look at this passage that I just read, it actually breaks down pretty easily into two parts. You have verses 5 through 8, and then you have in the second part, verses 9 through 13. And you can see the transition word in verse 9, so, so I say to you, or some of your translations might say, and I say to you, or some of your translations might say, thus I say to you. Each of those words, so, and, and thus, are all transition words. But they're still connection words. They're connecting the two passages that Jesus is telling in this larger piece of Luke 11. And so what he does in verses 5 through 8 is he tells us a story. And then verses 9 through 13, he unpacks what he means, really, by these verses in 5 through 8. But he begins like this. Suppose you have a friend. Well, what does he or she do? Let's say you nestle into bed. Wife's in bed. You're in bed. Kids are in bed. Middle of the night. Oh, let me remind you, ancient Israel home, may, uh, most of the time they were just a single story. And most of the time... Mom, dad, and kids, and sometimes grandkids, all lived in the same quarters. So a knock in the middle of the night, guess what? It's waking everybody up. And so when you have this friend who comes to the door, knocks, and asks for three loaves of bread, what do you do? That's the question Jesus is asking. What do you do? Well, if you're like this guy, which I would be like, what in the world are you doing knocking on my door in the middle of the night? Don't bother me. My wife is in bed. The kids are in bed. What is it you want? A friend has come on a journey. I need three loaves of bread. And he continues to persist. Give me three loaves of bread again and again. And you eventually give him that bread. We all have that friend, and it's funny that Jesus tells this story because we know what we might call persistent patties in our life or bothersome bobs. Those people that are always there to remind us of the patience that Christ calls us to, don't we? We have those type of friends in our lives that are persistent, and we might say burdensome or bothersome in so many different ways of life, but God love them. He does, because we realize that these friends of ours, they're innocent in intentions, completely innocent in intentions. And so when we look at this story, 
we realize that this friend who comes to the door, he's being inconvenient, but he doesn't realize it. And so when Jesus talks about this friend that comes to your door, he, we're, he's drawing the imagination. He's saying, we all have these types of friends that might come and interrupt us at the absolute worst of times. But then notice what the friend asked for. How many loaves of bread? Three. Right? I mean, how many of you have three loaves of bread in your house right now? Seriously, raise your hand. Exactly. We usually have two at the most. We'll buy two, we'll put one in the freezer, and then we'll eat on the other. So when it comes to uh, the three loaves of bread, that's a considerable amount. And in fact, it's, it's excessive. You just need this bread for you and your friend, and you're asking for three loaves? What kind of party is happening? We have no... When it comes to this three loaves, we have to be persuaded that this is an excessive amount of bread. But also notice the attitude that Luke lays out for us, the attitude of the friend. How does he come to the door? It's not just a knock, hey, I need three loaves of bread. A friend has come on a journey. He continues knocking. Continues knocking. Come on, buddy. You're waking up my wife and all my kids. What? I, I'm not going away until you give me three loaves of bread. Your translations might be slightly different. The Common Standard Bible that I read from this morning calls it shameless boldness. He's shameless. He's going to be knocking on that door bold and shameless of who he's waking up, the neighbors he's waking up. He's going to continue and persevere knocking on that door. Or if you have the English Standard uh, Version of the Bible, you use the language of impudence or maybe even persistence. Or if you have the King James Version or the ASV, it says this word that we probably have never said in our lives, importunity. But it's still getting at the idea of persistence. Or the message interpretation says the one who stands his ground. That gets to the idea there not moving. He's standing his ground, knocking, and he's not leaving until he has gotten his three loaves of bread for him and his friend. But notice closely what Jesus does with this bothersome and persistent friend. He tells us to be like them. He doesn't come out and explicitly say it, but he's telling us that we need to be like them as we approach our Heavenly Father. And he's going to tie that in verse 9 here in a second. So bother the Father, Jesus says. Be persistent toward the Heavenly Father as this friend of yours is persistent and bothersome towards you as he is knocking in the middle of the night for three loaves of bread. So let's look at those next verses, 9 through 13, the second part. This is when he unpacks really the story that he told in verses 5 through 8. And I said a minute ago it's connected with this language of so or and or thus. The Greek word is kago. It can be any of those. And so when Jesus tells them, when you go to the Father, when you ask, know that it will be given. When you go to the Father, seek and know that it will be found. And when you go to the Father, knock. And it will be opened. 
And so Jesus is connecting verses 5 through 8 and verses 9 through 13. And he's saying this, as the father in verses 5 through 8, who was burdened by the excessive request in the middle of the night, that friend who comes, knocks on the door, and the father who's getting out of the bed and saying, you know what, why in the world are you knocking on my door? As that father is burdened, guess what? Your heavenly father is not bothered. He is not worried. He is not stressed. He is not... He doesn't care about those excessive requests that you have before him. And this is why Jesus pleads for you and me to be bothersome towards God the Father. It's why he's pleading for us to be persistent towards God the Father. You cannot overwhelm the Father with your requests. You cannot burden him and you cannot nag the Father enough. With your request. In fact, Jesus is telling us to do the opposite. Nag him with your request. Because you need to nag him with your asking. You need to nag him with your seeking. And nag him with your knocking. That's verse 9. And then if you look closely at verse 11. Jesus engages the fathers around him. Look at verse 11. Where Jesus says this. And what father among you? If his son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. When was the last time one of your kids asked for a pet for Christmas? Ellen? Was it recent? Yeah. I remember growing up from, and I've got, I've got evidence for this, from about age five till probably the next six or seven years, we would write into the Trenton Gazette, with our list, what I ask for every year, Mom? A Dalmatian. I've got evidence for it. A Dalmatian every single year. And now I have a Dalmatian who's 14 years old. I got him, but it was a little late. Nag the Father with those types of requests, knowing that when you come to Him, it's almost like a child at Christmas. Ask, plead. And say, Father, this is where I'm at. This is where I know I need to be like Christ. Now, please help me be like Him. Show me how I might be like your Son. Show me how I can have wisdom in this situation in my life. Show me how I can be this kind of Father that you have called me to be in this moment. I plead for wisdom, Father. And so whenever you, your child, like myself, asked for maybe a Dalmatian or a golden retriever for Christmas or some other type of pet, you don't get them a king cobra snake instead, right? We don't. And that's what Jesus is after. You don't, when your child asks for some sort of fish, you don't give him a scorpion. You don't, you don't give him a snake. You don't offer those types of gifts back. So once it comes to the play on the words, the egg and the fish and uh, the, the scorpion and, and, and the like, Jesus is being a little bit humorous with the crowd around him because he knows that these are ridiculous requests. But there's purpose to what he's saying as well. So let's look at that. You know, eggs and fish. If your child asks for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. If you're at... You're, you're, your child asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. Well, why egg and fish is the choice of Jesus' words? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. 
Uh, not only would be eggs and fish be less deadly than a scorpion and uh, a snake, there are other reasons that we typically miss as Americans 2,000 years removed from this culture. And here are a couple of reasons. Fish and eggs were kosher foods. Those were foods that were okay to eat according to their dietary laws in the Hebrew scriptures. If a fish had fins and if a fish had scales, good to eat. So they wouldn't have been, sorry, said they wouldn't have been eating catfish with some hot sauce. Why? No scales. So once it comes to the fish, that is good for them to eat. Scales and fins are necessary. Now, what about the eggs? We, like, most eggs they could have eaten in their own day. They could have eaten chicken eggs and hens that came from hens. And most duck, depending on the duck, as well as geese and turkey. But now let's look at the other ones. Snakes. Scorpions. Uh, one reason why the snake is not dietary uh, law for the, the Hebrew, the ancient Israelite, is one, there's that whole uh, story around, wrapped around Genesis 1, uh, sorry, Genesis uh, 2 and 3, where the serpent comes. That's a big hindrance for their dietary law. And the other reason is, it comes from Leviticus 11:42 that they are to not any, eat anything that slithers on its belly. That would have been against their dietary law as well. And how they categorized the scorpion is that the scorpion was much like a crab. Pinchers, but it was poisonous. Most uh, in that area were poisonous at the time. If you look at the scholarship, though, here's really what it comes down to. Whether you're talking about the snake or you're talking about the scorpion, both of those are predatory by nature. They go and seek some other meal and they are predatory. We might say oppressive. They go and kill something else and then eat it. In ancient Israel, there was this understanding that we need to keep in the back of our mind. If any animal went and ate as a predator another animal, they were typically off limits. Not all the time, but most of them were off limits. Because it was understood in ancient Israel is that if you ate a predator, in some way the nature of that predator became like you. You get it? This is a whole other level to you are what you eat. So if you eat of predator animals, you will be like the predator animal as well. And so the scorpion off limits because of its predatory nature. Also, the snake, off-limits because of its predatory nature. But fish and eggs, let's look at them. They're substantive. You can be filled on eggs and fish. They're filling. They're both very healthy. They're nour nourishing and nurturing to your body. These are both good gifts that are meant to be given to the children, as it's related to in this passage. But what is Jesus saying about God the Father in this passage? It's very subtle, church. It's almost behind the scenes. It's sort of underneath of what he's saying about God the Father. But here's what I think he can teach us for this very day of Father's Day. And I don't think we're blind to this, is that in much of the American culture and in much of the age in which we live, there's a 
gross amount of fatherlessness. It's massive. It's something that we should definitely pray about. It's something that we should uh, turn our attention towards as the church because there's uh, so much work that we can do and we ought to be doing as the church towards the fatherless children that we know. So much of our culture, American culture, is very absent. Fatherhood is very absent. It's very neglectful. It's very uncaring towards its children. So Christian fathers, I believe, have a great opportunity to show our world around us that fatherhood can be something radically different. Way different than the picture that is typically seen in our everyday world. And here's how I think it can be in relation to this passage that we're looking at. Fathers, consider ways that you can be both for and with your children and grandchildren. For and with. Sometimes we split those two. And I, I get it. I, I have this inkling to do the same. Where when I work hard, I think I'm doing these things for my wife and my children. But it's so much more than that. We can actually be for and with our children at the same time to show them that we can be a presence for them no matter what. And so when you see this in the passage is that God the Father is already there. In verse 9, he's saying, when you go to the Father, you ask and it will be given. He's already there waiting for you to ask. When you're there seeking, he's already there to give himself to you. When you're already looking uh, to knock on the door, He's already on the other side waiting for you to knock. And so when Jesus is talking about the ways in which their Father in heaven is actually with us and for us, He is already there being a presence. Here's a second way. Set aside times daily and weekly to cultivate a quality of relationship with your children and even grandfathers, grandchildren as well. Once it comes to the passage, the father at first, what does he do? He says, from the inside, say to the one, the friend out there, don't bother me. This is not like our heavenly father. He's not saying, don't bother me. Stop asking. Stop seeking. Stop knocking. He is the one waiting for the child to approach and likewise, we can be that father as well, waiting for our children to approach us so that we can be that type of presence. So look for ways in which you can cultivate a quality of relationship daily and weekly with your children. Thirdly, talk about the things that they want to talk about and listen to the things that they are actually very passionate about. This still is remarkable to me that I see parents do this to this day. They care about the very things that their children are passionate about. And the parents don't care a lick about whatever it is. Yet the parents are so self-sacrificing that they're willing to do anything to make sure that their child continues to pursue this dream or this liking. It is amazing that I see parents like that and it actually puts me outside of my own uh, selfishness and say, how can I be like that father? How can I be like that mother a little bit more to sacrifice the things that, you know what, I might not care about, yet I pursue them because my father pursues us in the same way. Here's another thing. Consider ways to stir the faith into their own lives. Consider ways to stir faith 
in your own children's lives. I don't know if you remember this, um, but the Mother's Day passage, uh, the Mother's Day sermon that I preached about a month ago, the most influential leader in the home, in the American home, statistically by Barna Research, is no doubt, hands down, the mother, especially as it relates to faith and spirituality. Once it comes to who our children run to for questions of faith and being able to ask very difficult questions about life, they're running to mom first. We can also be that kind of spiritual director in their lives as well. That we can stir them in the ways of the Christian faith as well. Let me give a, uh, a couple of ways that we can do that. A couple of examples. First, give them opportunity to air out their questions about faith and life. If you know anything about Generation Z right now, the youngest generation that's like Ross and below, they need spaces to air out their questions about God and faith. We need to give them those opportunities and be able to let them wrestle with questions and help them wrestle with those types of questions. Secondly, ask how faith can be integrated and interwoven into everyday life. Choose anything in their lives. Baseball. How can this be actually integrated to your faith? What does it mean to actually care for somebody else in the game of baseball? Ask them random questions like that so that they see that their faith is not over here and every bit of their other life is over here. And, but they're actually greatly interwoven. Stir the faith into their hearts in that way. Here's another way. Choose a book or passage. Read it alongside them and discuss it. This doesn't have to be every single day. It would be great, but just weekly. Choose a passage. Read it with them, alongside them, and say, What does this mean? What does this teach us about Christ? What does this teach us about following Him and His ways? It's that simple. And also, let them sing. Teach them a verse of a hymn. Teach them a song. Teach them a chorus and let them sing. You will be surprised how songs are embedded deeply in children. And that 15 years from now, all you do is start that verse and it just spills out of their mouths. And they didn't even realize it was deep down in them. So teach them hymns and other songs that they can sing at any time in their life or they're hurting or broken and it can just burst out of their own hearts. And lastly... Fathers, live out your faith boldly before them. Live out your faith boldly. They look to you as an incredible person. As an incredible example of what it means to be a dad. They're looking up to you. They're looking for guidance from you. They're looking to you for wisdom and care Be able to take that time and say, son, daughter, this is what I I believe. This is how I want to live out my life and to, to love Christ. Live it out boldly before them. So model the faith with excellence. And show how grace needs, as in a a cooking metaphor, how it needs itself into the bones, tissues, and muscles of your everyday life. How it goes deep down that the Christian faith is more than just a belief in your head. It's more than the faith, the will of your own heart, that it actually spills over into your hands and to your feet as well. Our children need 
to see this boldness lived out by fathers. And so when we look at this passage of Luke 11, there's so much rich goodness that Jesus has for us, and especially as fathers, God the Father who is there waiting for us to ask, to seek, to knock. May we continue that example in our own children's lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for first of all that we can call you Father. We can only call you Father because of your Son who has restored us to a relationship with you. And so as your children, all of us, as we come alongside our brother Jesus, we come to you knowing that you are a father who hears our prayers. You're not some God way up there who might turn his ear away, but when we come to you in the name of Christ, you hear us. You desire to hear from us. You desire for us to seek you. You desire for us to knock at that door every single day to speak to you. And hopefully we can be reminded that as our own children long to be beside us, as our children want to be near to us, our arms wrapped around them in the same way, Father, you desire the same from us, that we would run to you, longing to be in your presence, to be wrapped in your arms. And so as we move throughout this week, and as we really think about the richness of Luke 11, may you continue to remind us that we are called to be examples as fathers of you and how you love us and you show your grace and mercy and kindness to us each and every day. And may we extend it to our children and be an example of that kindness and that grace to them as you have extended it to us. And so, Lord, we offer all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.